Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasts. The day that you start trusting in yourself is the day you start reliving. Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm here with my guest, Ashley. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, and I commend you on everything that you're doing and giving people that platform so they can share their stories. Oh, thank you. Yep, that's pretty much what it's all about. You know, we all have a story and you have to share it if you want to heal. I totally agree with you. Every story is a teaching tool and a teaching lesson to somebody else, right? Yes, absolutely. Because crime, unfortunately, is a worldwide epidemic, right? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, I'm in total agreement with you. I think it's only getting worse, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree, unfortunately. You are the author of Finding Strength Through Tragedy. Correct. What brought you to writing that book? I think practically everything. I think that I was just at a standstill. But I think honestly, what really made me do this book is when, so when I first went into the police station, before I start about anything in the story, the detectives didn't ask me what happened first off. They asked me to make them a promise that I would turn to the streets for drug, sex, prostitution. That hit me so hard that that was the first thing that came out of their mouth. Not what happened, but please make us this promise. And that told me that there's already an epidemic on the rise. So I knew right then and there that I had to do something because that just told me the statistics were so high for people to turn to such a negative outlet versus a positive outlet. And ever since that, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So that's why proceeds from my book go to the London police. And what happens is, so some of my money went towards purchasing a service dog for survivors of crime. And then some of it goes towards counseling, etc. I don't hardly keep anything of my profits. I want it, the reason and the purpose behind this book is so it could help other people, not so it could help myself because this is just, like I said, it's a worldwide epidemic and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And there are young people younger than myself that have gone through such horrific trauma, like 15 year olds whose brain hasn't even fully developed. And they're the ones that are so vulnerable to turning to the streets, especially, you know, I'm grateful because I had a huge support network, but there are so many people that aren't that don't have the support networks, that don't have all the counseling that they need. So this is a way for me to try to extend that and give people that extra counseling session or give that people the opportunity to be with a a service dog to help calm their anxiety, to help calm their depression, their PTSD, etc. Love that. I love that you're using it to do good. I think that going through something so horrific is all about turning pain into strength. And I'm a big, big believer in that, that if I can use my story to help somebody else, then I've done what I set out to do. Even if it's just one person, I really want to inspire somebody else. And I want to keep somebody else from turning to that negative outlet. 
identify traumas, identify mental health. Like I had no idea that I could be somebody that had PTSD because that was something that I only thought that war vets could get. I was like, no, I, I didn't fight a war. I don't have that. And sure enough, like I ticked off every single box, a yes. And that's when I knew, okay, I have PTSD now. In order to heal from trauma, you have to go through every single trauma that's happened in your life. So my trauma actually started at childhood where I was constantly neglected by my biological parents. I fought for attention, fought for everything. It still wasn't enough. I was put down constantly. My biological father had a temper, punched a hole through a door, um, called me effing stupid, slapped me across the head. It was very toxic. I was bullied in school. College, I was in a very domestic violent relationship where I was slammed into walls. It was just toxicity at its finest. Then in 2016, I was assaulted in a park in broad daylight. And then a couple weeks later, I found myself in the middle of a murder scene. So you can see that I've been through my fair share of stuff that has happened. And it escalated very badly, so much so that I wanted to take my own life and end it and call it a day. So in August 28, 2016, I got a call at 5 a.m. in the morning. And that was from William Joel's. And he had said, um, can you please come over? And he was staying with me and the deceased at the time because he had just come back from out west and his project or his business had just not done well. So he had come back with absolutely nothing. So we were doing everything in our power we could to help him. The deceased even got him a job interview, etc. And things were moving along for well. And he came down 45 minutes later to meet me in the lobby. There was another guy there, but I had told him to leave because he had just got off of nights. So I went up to the 18th floor with Will. Uh, he had locked all the doors behind me immediately, told me that I wasn't going anywhere, grabbed my phone out of my hands, blood splattered apartment. I said, where's Nathan? He took me to the bathtub, showed me the body of the deceased and told me, that that was going to be me next. He was already going away for one account of murder. Why not make it two? Wow. Um, he strangled me because I wouldn't help clean up the murder scene. Sexually assaulted me, pulled down my pants multiple times, said he wouldn't be getting sex for a long period of time, so he may as well get sex now. It was awful. I was in that apartment for two hours. He finally went to the washroom, and I ran down 18 flights of stairs. At the trial, I was showing seconds from him meeting me down in the lobby. I was lucky I got out when I did. Went to a variety store, called 911. Was at the police station practically all day. The ambulance met me there. They told me I needed to go get my neck checked out because I was strangled. Had a camera stuck up my nose. It was horrible. All the blood vessels in my neck were swollen. I just remember going into the urgent care and just bawling my eyes out um, because the nurse asked me, she was like, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I was like, I don't even know how to answer this. So I went with one of my good friends at the time and uh, she answered the questions for me because I was just, I was in a state of shock. I mean, I had to take off every single layer of clothing at the police station and get completely naked because they needed to do swabs and DNA and, and all of that. It was very invasive. They had to take pictures of my neck. My blood pressure was absolutely through the roof. It was just something horrific, and I 
this is why I, I talk about it and, and do what I do because I couldn't imagine being a 15, 14 year old, 13 year old, 12 year old going through this. Um, it's absolutely horrific. It's life changing. It's life altering. And like, I think the trial was even more horrific. I don't think that it was closure by any means. I think it was just another chapter in the, the story. The trial happened two years after. So our criminal justice system here in Canada is very messed up. They get double time and a half served for every day before the trial. So he got that and he didn't make the trial easy at all. I mean, he didn't take accountability for anything. He said that um, he tried to play manslaughter and we all know that manslaughter is an accident. He brutally beat his friend, practically like his brother, I should say, to death. The deceased was alive for two to three hours, and he watched him die, and I I didn't find that out until two years later at the trial. In October of 2016, right before Thanksgiving, I uh, took a bottle of tequila, and I took a bunch of pills, and I just wanted it to end because everything became too much. It became too overwhelming. I just... I felt guilty for breathing. I felt guilty for being alive. I said to myself, well, why am I alive? But the deceased isn't here. The deceased was strong. The deceased was like, I couldn't make sense of why I was here and the deceased wasn't. So I had this overwhelming guilt weighing on me and weighing on me and weighing on me and pulling on every heartstring. And I just, I couldn't take it. And I, I just had enough. I wanted to end the thoughts. I wanted to end the emotions. Like, honestly, I went back to work like a week after everything happened because I was starting a new job. And all I did was wanted to sleep. I just wanted to sleep after I was done work. I didn't have any, like, I didn't want to socialize. Like, there are people reaching out to me for support 110%. But my energy levels was so drained. I was just so exhausted. Everything that I, like showering, brushing my teeth, everything just exhausted me. Finally just said, you know, enough's enough. And I wanted to end my life. But looking back at that now, I thought that was the most selfish thing that I could ever do. Because how is that giving any justice to the deceased and the deceased's family? Like, I needed to be here. Like, I was the first one to take the stand for trial. So I knew that I had a lot weighing on me. In the trial, I knew I needed to step up. I knew I needed to be brave. I knew I needed to be strong. I knew I knew needed to be courageous. So I stepped up to the plate and, you know, I talked to my counselor. I talked to my nurse practitioner. I was seeing them on a weekly basis. Um, that's how bad it got. The nightmares, the flashbacks. I actually moved places after all this happened because the person that did this horrific thing had a key to my apartment and no he wasn't getting out of jail or anything but still you lived in that fear and you know my place reminded me of him constantly so I had moved even moving still didn't mask everything there was still just so much pain so much anger so much frustration so much sadness so much guilt went to the trial two weeks of the trial and it was horrific like we couldn't even bury the deceased till two years later because they needed his brain for the autopsy and everything which was just horrific all the way around it was a lot the mythical true crime podcast is now proudly joining the dark cast network of indie podcast creators join us as we delve into the mysterious and the macabre exploring captivating tales of true crime legends 
and unsolved mysteries from the realms of mythology and reality. Uncover the dark, true tales of modern legends with our spoken narratives and the blend of history, crime, and the supernatural. Did he say why he did this? I don't think that there's a reason why he did this. I mean, he blamed me. He said, well, if she didn't call, like, there, he said that, oh, he was so intoxicated. I mean, I've, I've gotten drunk before. I don't go around killing people. I mean, there's no, there's no real reason. There's no real reason to kill anybody. So, no. It's still to this day, I don't feel like there's accountability. Like, last summer, it was my 30th birthday, the summer before the summer. So in 2022, and um, he had went to his lawyer and wanted to plea manslaughter, and he wanted to say that the trial was unfair. He wanted a retrial. And so again, there's just no accountability. Right before Christmas, he wanted some medical favors, and like, it's it's just like a long thing again and again and again. Like, I don't think he's ever went a full year and served his term where he hasn't applied for this, hasn't done this. And like, now he wants to have a score to temporary access so he can go to church, attend personal workshops. But it's like, well, the deceased doesn't get to come out and do this. You know, I just feel like with crime and I'm a big believer that people like gang members or people that steal from a store. Okay, they have the ability to be rehabilitated and change in the criminal justice system. But when it comes to murders, when it comes to child predators, I feel like they only learn how to manipulate the system. And I don't feel like that there's, I'm truly a big believer in eye for an eye. And I don't think that there's any rehabilitation on their part. I feel like those people just learn to work the system and the jails get so overcrowded that it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll let them out. Like, look at Carl Homoka, how the horrific crimes that she committed, and now she's out of jail and has two kids. Well, won't even be 40 and could potentially be out of jail and have kids, get married, have a family, etc. But what does the deceased get? He doesn't get any of that. He doesn't get to come back and relive his life. So, again, I'm not saying Will should be murdered or anything like that. I'm saying, well... Why is he in jail for the rest of his life? The deceased doesn't get to come back. Why should you come back, live your life, get a job, and have normalcy? I just don't agree with that. And I think that our justice system is a huge failure. I feel like it's a huge letdown. I don't feel like there's justice at all. I don't even want to call it a justice system because I don't feel like it's a justice system. There is no justice. I have been going through this since... August 28, 2016, and I'm still going through it today, waiting for a package to know when the date, the time is of this hearing. This is a life sentence for me and the deceased's family more so than this is a life sentence for him. Like they said that this was a life sentence, 14 years is a life sentence. That's not a life sentence, 14 years. Like, why are we saying that's a life sentence? A life sentence means you die in prison. So 14 years to me is nothing. Like he can apply for full eligibility by 2030. And it and I guess that our criminal justice system doesn't just base it on the crime. They base it on their behavior in jail. So, you know, if they're a good citizen, if they're showing improvements, they could get released early. Why do you think he wants to go to church and do all that? He knows that. Because let's face it, it's another manipulation tactic. It's right. Yeah, I mean, they know, for the most part, if you do classes, if you do counseling, if you work, you do this, you do that, oh, you become a job prisoner. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's like, 
where was God before all this? Where was church before all this? Right. And now all of a sudden God's what you believe in and you're just like this changed human being. Like I believe in rehabilitation to an extent, like gang members changing people who steal. Sure. But like people who commit murder and, you know, people that hurt children. No, I, I don't feel like they change. I feel like he was so calculated in what he did. Like, you know, it's one thing to punch somebody once and, you know, to say, okay, like, I did a bad thing. Like, I'll call the police. I'll call an ambulance. But he didn't do any of that. He took a naked selfie after he did this horrific crime covered in blood and was like, it was like a trophy. So, and then collected his passport and collected his belongings in a bag. But, I mean, police met him right at the door. And then... The other thing that bothers me is accountability. So last summer, even there was no accountability. And then even at the trial, again, no accountability. It was like, blame me. And then he wouldn't apply. So they said he was charged with forceful confinement, but he wouldn't plead guilty to that because he was telling the police that I was free to leave whenever I wanted. So grabbing someone's phone, locking all the locks behind them, that's freedom to leave whenever I want? I... I didn't realize that. So it, even if he pl- pleaded guilty to that charge and went add to his sentence, so I was like, okay, where's the, again, where's the justice? It's lying with the wrong person, unfortunately. I see that a lot. You know, these predators a lot of times have more rights than the victims do. And it's just, it's bullshit. It is. There's really no justice in this system. It's a real failure system and what it's bringing up for the family of the deceased is horrific. I mean, Nathan was a well-rounded, good-hearted, kind-hearted person would give the shirt off his back for anybody. He was sweet, down to earth, and just genuinely cared, was humble, was kind. Um, So we actually have a garden here And that food goes towards the homeless people and helping feed them. So we're still trying to keep his legacy alive. He has a website, the Nathan T. Desolate Memorial Fund website. We still try to keep his name going. And I know that if roles were reversed, he'd be doing this podcast with you today. There's not a doubt in my mind that he wouldn't. He was the same person as me, cared about other people and wanted to make a change and make a difference in this world. Um, he went to so many meetings and, and gatherings and, you know, was that person that you just wanted to socialize with at every event. He just knew how to work a room. He was just the light of the party. He was happy-go-lucky. He was just positive, just a great human being with such a kind, genuine soul. Yeah, it's it's not fair. Obviously, he did not deserve that. I mean, nobody deserves no. it whatsoever. I also found out that the person that committed this horrific act also started acting out at, at childhood. And it was like, where was the help then? And it's like, I th- feel like parents and like I work with children and I feel like some parents just get in complete denial about their kids and don't want to help their kids and think, oh, no, they'll just grow out of this. It's just a phase. And they just use excuses. And it's like... No, these these people are begging for help at such a young age and you're watching them and you're sitting back and you're doing nothing to help. 
when you know that something bad is going to end up coming out of it? No, you hit that right on the the head because most often this is seen when they're children, when in your childhood, you know, he might've been, maybe he was abused or maybe he just never got, you know, that whole nurture versus nature thing. I mean, we don't know how he was brought up. He was adopted um, from Guatemala actually. And his adoptive parents did a lot for him, but he just spiraled completely out of control. He made up allegations with them. I guess he harmed animals at one point. There's just a lot of red flags. Um, I didn't know about the harming animals until after the trial. Um, I mean, I wish I knew that sooner than later. Right. And you dated him? I dated him off and on for two and a half years. So he went out west for a year and... I mean, we talked briefly, but it wasn't anything major. And then came back from out west one day and just showed up randomly at my work. And uh, it was funny because I was talking about him that day. And I was like to my, I was talking to my sister and I said to her, she was my manager at the time. And I was talking to her and I said, I miss him so much. And, you know, he's been talking to me all night and it's been really hard. And soon enough, he shows up just shortly after that conversation and, uh, I mean, I could tell that he was depressed, obviously, from his business adventure not working out. But did I think he would commit such a horrific act? Absolutely not. I mean, who does? We all want to see the good in people. We all want to see the best in people. And I feel like we get so blinded by love that we just we see the people for who we want them to be and not what they actually truly are. 100%. Was he ever violent with you before this? I don't want to say violent, but he was at times manipulative, control. I ran into him at a bar. I was with my friends and he was with his friends. I mean, I didn't plan on running into him that night. And he had two girls on both sides of his arms. And we were like, I mean, we weren't anything exclusive, but enough that like I genuinely had feelings for him. And watching that happen was just like, it was like a knife through my heart and it hurt deeply. Like I've been cheated on in every single relationship. So it's really hard for me to trust. I mean, I always think the worst situation when somebody's on their phone all the time, I think, oh my God, they're, they're going to hurt me. Like I just, it's a lot for me to trust. It's a lot for me to let down my guard. Even now, nothing is easy. It's challenging. I mean, I'm a super emotional person and I don't know how not to be an emotional person. I mean, I cry at a drop of a hat. I'm, and this is what I get from some people is that you're such a negative person and you, you know, you think so negatively about everything. And it's not that I think so negatively about everything. It's that I've been through a lot of horrific trauma. And when you've been down a road that's just so horrific, you're almost waiting for the next shoe to drop. I mean, I try to be positive to an extent. Like, I could be having the perfect day, and I could get a letter from the parole board, and it just screws with my mind entirely. And it, you know, deflates everything going for me. Like, I'm not the kind of person that fakes it until they make it. I'm the kind of person that has that mental breakdown right then and there because I just, I get so overwhelmed with my feelings. I don't know what to do at times. It's hard. It's challenging. 
but you don't know what it's like. You're, you haven't stepped a mile in somebody else's shoes. So until you step a mile in somebody else's shoes, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And I think that it's so awful that people just judge, 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 because nobody's ever been in my shoes. I haven't been in their shoes. So what's it to me to judge them? What's it to them to judge me? That's not right. That's not fair. That's making accusations. That's pointing fingers. That's pointing blame. And, you know, I think that we need to feel what we need to feel when we need to feel it. I think it's okay not to be okay. And there are moments that, no, I just want to sit here and cry. Do I cry more than I laugh? Surely I do. I mean, I have depression. I have anxiety. I have PTSD. There's no real fix for those things. Yeah, you can be on all the meds that you want to be on. But that still doesn't cure it. That still that still doesn't make it just magically go away. There's no magic wand to weave away mental illness. It's there. And it's constant. And it's in your face. It's battle after battle. It's struggle after struggle. Does it get easier with time? No, it doesn't. You just learn to cope. Like with anxiety, I try to be at like, I try to know where all my exits are so I don't feel like I'm trapped or enclosed. Try to be aware of your surroundings. And that's what I try the best to do. Count the colors in the room. Focus on the objects in the room. Like these are all things that I've learned through my counselor and I, and I try to ingrain them in my own life in order to deal and cope with my mental health in an easy way. I think writing my book was me dealing with my mental health. Me going to the gym, me working out is dealing with my mental health. Me going for runs when I'm mad or frustrated and just listening to some hardcore rap of Eminem, that's me dealing with my anxiety and my depression and my PTSD. Sometimes me going to bed early isn't a screw you to people. It's like, no, I need to take care of myself because I know I'm about to break. Me going to bed isn't about the other person. Me going to bed is about, okay, I know that I'm not in the proper headspace. It's a new day. Yeah. Do I believe in taking meds that you're so out of your mind? No, I don't. Do I believe in drinking that you're so drunk out of your... No. I believe that self-care is vital. I believe in finding things for yourself to do rather that you go shopping with a friend. You know, you write a journal entry. You write a blog. You create your own website. You create your own YouTube channel. You post a video on TikTok. You watch videos on TikTok. There's so many coping methods and it's going to be different for every single person, but it's about digging deep and finding out who you are and who you want to be. And I think that's really important is self-care is vital. You need to do you first and foremost. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. You can't even take care of the criminal system and what's going on right now with the parole board if you're not in check with yourself first and foremost. Everything starts with you and how you are in control of how you handle every single situation in your life. Not the alcohol, not the mental health, not this, not that. You are in control of how you deal with things. And how I choose to deal with things is very much being self-aware and knowing myself, knowing my limits, knowing what I can and cannot handle. That's me taking care of myself. 
that's me figuring out, okay, I'm really overwhelmed. I need to go for a run. I'm really overwhelmed. I need to hit the punching bag. Knowing all of these things about myself and it's not selfish for a moment to cancel plans last minute. If you're feeling so overwhelmed that you just need that extra hour of sleep or you need to go and hit the gym, that's totally okay. Or you just want to sit and watch your favorite show on TV and you just want to make popcorn for yourself. That is okay. You have to look out for you because at the end of the day, no one else is looking out for you but you. I have to say, I think you have a great outcome. So <laughs> Thank screw you them. So much. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, you know, there's been some bumps in the road, but you have learned how to identify coping mechanisms and ways to kind of flip the switch in your brain when you feel like you might be getting there. Not to mention, you know, the power and the importance of self-love, self-care. And that right there is a huge hurdle in itself. So you're ahead of the ball game, girl. <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. You have to be ahead of the game. You, you just, but that all comes with like, that doesn't just come overnight. And that's where people have to be patient and, and love themselves fully and truly and know what they deserve and know what they don't deserve. And that all comes through counseling. That all comes through being open and honest with yourself and being transparent and knowing what you can and cannot handle at the end of the day. At the end of the day, you have to ask yourself those self-reflecting questions. You have to dig deep. Like, Everything, the way you live and build your life is completely and utterly up to you. You define yourself. Nobody else does. Amen, sister. Preach. <laughs> That's 100%. 100%. And, you know, like, you need to cut out the toxicities in your life, too. Like, I'm a big believer in that. And, like, I cut out the toxicity of both of my biological parents. And, like, am I better for it? Absolutely. Like, Family is what you make it to be, too. I'm a huge believer in that. You know, you are not defined by the people that gave birth to you. You're defined by the people that are going to uplift you, that are going to support you, that are going to be positive, that are going to be inspirational, that are going to help you get through those tough hurdles in life, that aren't going to be negatively influencing you and say, well, you know what, you're lazy, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, and putting you down negatively all the time is exhausting in itself. You need people that are going to value you, respect you, and understand you when you're not at your best. Because there are days where I'm not going to be 100%. There are days where I'm not going to be at my best. And I already know that going forward in life. I can say to you that I'm, no, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But do I own them? Yes. Do I recognize them? Yes. Do I know my shortcomings and my failures? Yes. Do I know what I need to improve on? Yes. Am I working towards something? Yes. Have I reached out to my MP because of the justice system? Yes. Reached out to my news outlet because I don't agree with the justice system? Yes. Shared how I feel with the parole board? Yes. Like, I'm doing things and being active in showing people how I feel and what I know, what I understand, and I'm trying to be the best version of myself that I can be every day. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be exhausting? Yes. Is it going to be sad? Yes. Is there days you're going to be mad and you're going to be angry? Yes. But it's, people need to understand that it's okay to feel how you need to feel in that moment. You are in control. You know, you can't control other people, but you can control yourself. And how you react and how you respond. You 
have a life to live and you choose what it is you want in it and you need to start those positive affirmations like I'm a warrior, I'm strong, I'm a believer, I'm courageous, I'm brave. We need to start looking at that rather we start looking at, oh my God, this person's such a victim. Like I hate the victim. I hate that. I hate being told I'm a victim. No, I'm a survivor. I'm a warrior. I'm brave. I'm courageous. We need to turn all these affirmations into positive language because when we turn them into positive language, we're saving people from going to the streets because when we degrade people, they lose their self-esteem. They lose their self-worth. They lose who they are. And that's when they turn to negative outlets. And my goal is to stop that. My goal is to say, you know what? You are enough. You are courageous. You got this. You can do it. You know, some days are not going to be great. Nope. That's okay. You need to be patient with yourself. You need to give yourself time, space, and you need to take breath by breath. And that's it. I just want to give you a hug. <laughs> yeah. I think what you just said is 1000% everything that I preach on this show. You've literally knocked them all down. I couldn't have said it any better. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. I'm just, I really feel for people. I have a lot of empathy. I have a lot of understanding and I get it. And I get what it's like to not be okay. I get what it's like to struggle. I, I do. I mean, life is not anything easy. It's an obstacle and it's a challenge in itself. But at the end of the day, people need to believe in themselves and know, you know, you can do anything that you set your mind to and you're in charge of this life and you get to decide, okay, you know, like I want to live it. I want to live it being romanced. I want to live it, you know, going to the gym. I want to live it for myself, I want to, you know, live it where I can find positive and healthy relationships and I can grow from them and learn from them. I just want people to be happy and be safe and, and be secure and be healthy in their own skin and, and know their worth and know their value and know what they deserve and what they don't deserve. That's all I want for people. I want the absolute best for especially anybody who's been through something so horrific, anyone who's questioning who they are and their existence. I mean, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And sometimes it takes a lot to understand that reason, but that's when you have to dig deep and you have to self-reflect and you have to just love yourself for who you are and who you want to become and, and have goals, have dreams, have aspirations, you know? Just, oh, just for sure. trust in yourself. The moment you start trusting in yourself is the moment you start reliving. I love that. I also want to add, people need to be aware. Be aware of who you're hanging out with. Be aware of who you're dating. Mm -hmm. Don't make excuses for people. Don't look the other way thinking, oh, they had a bad day. Because if you see patterns, then this is actually who that person really is. Exactly. Like we can only make excuses for someone to a certain degree. You know, we have to understand that we deserve love and happiness and compassion and empathy. We deserve the the best in life, not even just going through horrific trauma, but anyone with low self-esteem issues, anyone that struggling with eating disorders, mental health, like it's important to understand and know your worth and know your value and know what it is that you want and need in this life, you know, 
if people are disrespecting you and bringing you down, is that something that you want for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be uplifted? Do you want to be empowered? It's that whole self-awareness module. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you constantly have people telling you that you're nothing, I mean, you're going to start to believe it. It's abuse when people degrade you and tell you, oh, you're so lazy. You don't do anything around the house. You know, you're, you're so, the way you do your makeup sucks. You know, your hair is too big. You know, your clothes, I don't like this outfit. I don't like that outfit. Like, that's just degrading someone and degrading someone. It becomes so exhausting that you just have no words to say anymore. You just don't have anything to say anymore. It takes a toll on you and, and who you are. And you start questioning, am I good enough? Am I enough? And, like, you start having suicidal thoughts. You start thinking, well, maybe this world would be better off without me. Maybe I, you know, maybe I pissed him off last night. Maybe I pissed her off last night. Because domestic violence goes both ways. It's not just, you know, a girl attacking a guy. It's a guy can be attacked too. And... Guys suffer from mental health just as much as we do. I mean, sometimes we don't give men enough credit. And so I really think that it's time to be open and transparent and honest and, you know, understand both sides and understand what it is to be in a healthy relationship versus toxic. And I don't just mean romance relationships. I mean, are your parents uplifting? Are your sisters or your cousins or your brother? Like, whomever. Like, you want to have positive, uplifting people in your life. You don't want to have people that are going to bring you down and degrade you and devalue you. You want people who are going to uplift you and show you your worth, your value. I mean, you have to find that in yourself first and foremost, but at the same time, you want to keep the memento going and you want to have people that are going to speak up and say positive things about you, not people that are going to put you down. You want people with respect and dignity and people you trust and people who you can confide in. You know, that's positive, healthy self-worth to yourself first and foremost is creating those positive relationships creating that positive energy and it starts with yourself again having those self-affirmations on the mirror every single day you know that says I am enough I am brave I am courageous I am you know strong I am strong-willed I am beautiful I am kind I am loving having reminding yourself of who you are is so vital and it's so important the recovering and healing process oh yeah especially you can't love anyone else no one else can love you until you love yourself Mm -hmm. that's the way it is you have to find what it is inside of you and love it and then be open to share it with other people this negativity shit's gotta end Like I said, like I share this story to be that teaching tool, to be that teaching lesson to other people, to be the voice of change, to be the voice of inspiration. Like if one person comments on this and says, you know what, like I I understand, I can relate to the mental illness, like that's what I want. I want people to be like open and be able to be honest and be able to trust me. And there have been people, other survivors of crime that have reached out to me and it's the most beautiful and wonderful thing that I could ever ask for in this life. Like I'm all about helping and inspiring other people because now when I see people shooting up on the streets, I don't ask myself why not. I ask myself what horrific trauma did they just experience or go through or live through because you don't just stick a needle in your arm one day and say, okay, like this is my life. 
nobody asks for a negative life. I mean, there's only so much trauma you can handle. And I think, you know, young kids that are 12, 13 years old where their brains haven't fully developed yet, they don't know what to do when it comes to trauma. They're they're not even done growing themselves. So I think that that's why we have so many people on the streets and we forget and we fail to understand the reasoning behind somebody's actions. You know, when I see people on the streets, I feel nothing but empathy and understanding and compassion towards them. I just want to help them all, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I know I can't take away their pain and that frustrates me, but I want people to know that I'm listening and that I'm here for them. And if they just want to send me a message saying, you know, this is my story, like, I don't judge anyone. I don't. We all have our stories. We all have our battles. We all have our scars. And, you know, it doesn't even, and a reminder to people that it doesn't just have to be those physical scars, the the punch in the eye, the bruises on our face, the bruises we cover up under our clothes. It's the emotional, it's the mental scars, it's the verbal, I will say verbal scars because words hurt. So we have all these other scars that we're faced with and that we're challenged with. And people who have gone through that or or face that on a daily basis now like you're not alone people are here people want to help you people want to support you people want to bring you back and help you find out who you are again and and be that light through the darkness like you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do alone there's always somebody listening there's always somebody here there's always a sounding board and I want to be that sounding board for everyone this stuff doesn't discriminate It doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor. It has nothing to do with that. Trauma happens to anybody and anyone at any age, unfortunately. Yep. You can't prepare for it either. It's You you can't prepare. And another thing is that you cannot run away from it. You have to face it head on no matter how difficult it may be. Because it's not an easy road to heal. I mean, it's like a drug addiction. You have to go through all the steps in order to properly heal and get yourself to where you need to be. It's a total discovery. It's a total, you know, patience. It's total balance. You have to be willing to put that faith in yourself and believe in yourself first and foremost. It's so worth it. It really is. It really is. When you get to the other side, it's really worth it. But again, it's that patience is that, understanding and it's that power of believing that you can do anything that you set your mind to and and knowing that you can and you will get through it and you do have help you do have support and knowing that you're not alone knowing that you know there's other people even through just tiktok strangers on there you know and not strangers so much but like there's police presence there's you know therapists there's counselors there's so many people that are going through the same journey. That's why I say, like, always be kind to people because you don't know what somebody else is going through. Like, just because they post on Facebook, like, a happy smile on their face doesn't mean that they're positive and outgoing. Like, I have so many people tell me, oh, this stuff didn't happen. You're so positive. You're so friendly. You're so, like, happy-go-lucky. But trauma doesn't, like I said, doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're happy. It doesn't matter if you put a smile on your face for a second. Like, 
what we only know behind closed doors, right? Like there's so much that we don't know about people and we just, we prejudge people. We think because people have money that they're happy or, you know, people have this or that or a nice card. They're so happy. Like, no, those are all material things. Happiness starts with you first and foremost. Oh God. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. If somebody did want to reach out to you, how would they get a hold of you? So Finding Strength Through Tragedy Facebook group, TikTok, Ashley Inspire, not Ashley Inspires. Ashley Inspires is actually my old account. I had to open a new account because I trusted somebody and they went against the odds and they hurt me. So I had to open my own account. Um, So it's Ashley Inspire. And then Finding Strength Through Tragedy, like I said, my Facebook group. Um, Also my Facebook page, Ashley Inspires. Um, I do also have a website for blogs and stuff that I post, ashleyinspires.ca. Like I said, I'm all about helping people. And please, like anyone that's going through something horrific, please speak up. Know that you're not alone. And please don't attempt to take your own life as much as, you know, you're thinking that you want to. It's really not worth it because you're hurting so many other people in the end. You know, this trauma just isn't about you. It's about everyone that's involved. And that's what people need to recognize and understand. Yes, especially if you have a family, like your children, they, you might think you're hiding it, but you're you're not. No. They see it. They can feel it. Absolutely. Well, thank and where you can they so find much. the book? Of course. Uh, so they can actually find the book. Um Right now, I only have copies of my for myself because I'm getting a publisher, but they can reach out to me and I can send them the link to get a book. Perfect. Um, and right. like I said, the proceeds go to helping other survivors of crime. That's all that this book is for, first and foremost. It's helping people fight the fight because I don't want anybody having new experiences or go through this alone. If that service dog, that last session of counseling is what helps you, Um, And as the guide to your healing, that's all that I want for you, first and foremost. No, I love that. That's great. Absolutely. Well, I want to commend you on what you're doing, first and foremost, as well. Because, honestly, providing this platform, and I say this to all podcasters, and I mean it. Like, you guys are providing a platform so people can share their story. You guys are being that teaching lesson to other people. And you're giving hope to others while they're sharing their story. So you are making a true difference in this world. And I totally 110% commend you on that. And I have great respect for you and other podcasters that are providing the safe and reliable platform. So thank you for the bottom of my heart, sincerely. Thank you. That really, that means so much. You know, that's what we all want to do. We all want to leave our mark and... Just to think that it might actually be happening is just, it's its an amazing feeling. Well, think about how many people you're talking to on a regular basis. Like, getting those stories out and sharing those stories is creating that healing path for other people. So just by the questions you ask, just by having this guest that you do, you're creating so much love and support for other people. And you're being that network of change, that network of hope for other people. And honestly, I thank you for that. Like, honestly, you are truly making a difference and you should be so proud of yourself. 
You actually are going to make me cry now, girl. (laughs) Honestly, I truly mean it. I really think the most of people that provide that platform because it really helps. You know, it gets out all your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and it allows you just to have a normal conversation with other people that understand trauma. And I'm sure there's a reason behind why you do this podcast and just you know, giving people that platform is remarkable in itself. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate what you're doing for me right now. Yes. And I'll make sure I share it with the world. (laughs) I'm sure you will. I have no doubt in my mind that you will. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll put links um, in the bottom of the show notes where people can come and find you. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I think we all know somebody who could use this episode. So please use the links in the bottom of the show notes to share with them. You can also get a hold of me. Do you want to be on the show and tell your story? Or do you have a success story from one of these episodes? I would love to hear that. Make sure that you are following me on all social media. That way that we can keep in touch and we will talk crime another time. Bye.